Well, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time to study your word and science and health principles. Lord, you're the originator of all truth. Lord, and we desire to become the people you've called us to be, to be transformed into the image of your dear Son. Guide us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to begin talking about another person who had frontal lobe damage. Like we talked about, we talked about Fadia specifically mentioned Patricia, the nurse, who decided to have part of her brain destroyed so that she could, you know, get rid of her depression. Well, this person did not try. This is the result of frontal lobe damage on a newborn. So this is someone who... I don't know if the child was dropped or it was in a car accident. We're not really told that I know of, but the baby was called Baby GK. Now, Baby GK suffered bilateral frontal lobe damage in the first seven days of his life. From childhood to age 31, he experienced the typical characteristics of someone who ex- had experienced frontal lobe damage. Now, what are those? What are they? Well, whoops. Um, Number one, he did not respond to parental discipline. He always sat, sought gratification as of his immediate needs. He never developed adequate friendships. He blamed his difficulties on others. He was irresponsible and tended to wander, was easily influenced by other deviant children, and was sexually promiscuous. Specifically, what it tells us about the child, that they also did what Ellen White calls secret sin this was just something he did regularly so uh very interesting speaking of this person now is this is what they say it is like now what i find interesting about this though this is what a child with frontal lobe damage acts like but this doesn't this largely look what a normal american young person acts like honestly I mean, this literally looks like your standard American child. Now, this is the story of a child with an impaired frontal lobe. Could it be that young people, or people in general in America, are living with impaired frontal lobes? That we are actually living a lifestyle that has impaired our frontal lobes. It goes on to say the effects of a compromised frontal lobe is impairment to moral principle, social impairment, or a loss of love for the family, a lack of foresight, Abstract reasoning is impaired, mathematical understanding is diminished, and there's a loss of empathy and a lack of restraint. Now, we looked at, you know, some of the things we can do. That we, these are just the four quick things we've talked about uh, to help us in areas of overcoming. Number one, getting adequate exercise, deep breathing, drinking adequate amounts of water daily, and Bible promises in prayer. And... We, we talked about different things that damage the frontal lobe. Now, we talk, this is a review for us who've been here, but it's drugs, lack of use, certain kinds of music, head injuries, and lack of nutrition can actually impair our frontal lobes. Now, we're going to talk about some legal drugs that damage the frontal lobe because if we want to replicate the life of Jesus, if we want to live the life of Christ, having his identity before the world, we want to avoid anything that would impair the frontal lobe, which is the seat of spirituality, morality, and the will. Now, alcohol. Now, this is obviously just commonly accepted amongst Christianity at large, not amongst those of our faith in general. But what we see here, 
this is, uh, Dr. Nedley says that alcohol interferes with dopamine production and decreases activity of the frontal lobe of the brain. So while you're drunk or drinking, your frontal lobe, your spiritual center is inhibited. Any resveratrol-related benefits obtained through alcohol can also be received by drinking grape juice. The healthiest course of action is to steer clear of alcoholic beverages. You know, people say, yeah, but the, uh, you, alcohol is good for your heart. You ever heard that before? But it's bad for your brain. It's bad for your liver. It's bad for uh, breast cancer. Any level of alcoholic drinking in women increases breast cancer rates. So you can get all the benefits of the wine in the grape juice, and then you can get it all in the grape itself, right? You don't need to get rotten grapes to get the benefit. So drug experts say that alcohol is worse than cracker heroin. What do they mean? The World Health Organization estimates that risks linked to alcohol cause 2.5 million deaths a year from heart and liver disease. Once you get numbers like that, we don't even, well, 2.5 million, what does that mean? Well, what that means is this. 2.5 million people die a year from heart and liver disease, road accidents, suicide, and cancer, accounting for 3.8% of all deaths. Alcohol is the third leading risk factor for premature death, death and disabilities worldwide. Can you imagine? With just getting rid of alcohol, we could get rid of the third leading risk factor for death and disability worldwide. Very simple. So we've talked about alcohol. We talked about caffeine. We saw the study that showed that Drinking a, a large cup of coffee can drop the blood flow to your brain by, does anybody remember how much? 40% can drop the blood flow to your brain. And you want, is, you want the adequate amount of blood flow going to your brain so you can make the best decisions and best represent Christ here on earth. And so it says a study from John Hopkins University showed that if you drink just two cups of coffee a day and quit, you will not only likely get severe withdrawal headaches, but you will feel wi as wiped out as someone undergoing chemotherapy for two to three days. Now, have you ever, have you ever, you know, you've been eating a lot of greens and vegetables, and then you went for a day or two without broccoli? Did you ever start getting tension headaches from getting rid of the broccoli? You didn't have that, did you? Because it's not a drug. You understand what I'm saying? If something's good for you, your body doesn't start to go through withdrawal symptoms when you get away from it for a day or two. You understand the point. But this is a drug. Bristol University researchers found that caffeine beverage drinkers develop a tolerance to both the anxiety-producing and the stimulating effects of caffeine, meaning that it only brings them back to baseline levels of alertness, not above them. So what happens is, just like any drug, if you, uh, I used to do drugs and um, used to be a smoker, what happens is when you first do something like a cigarette, you catch a buzz and it feels good. But then after a while, you get addicted, and then you, you almost need the substance just to make you feel the way you used to feel before you never did the drug. Does that make sense? Like alcoholics, just to feel normal, have to drink. Whereas you feel normal, normally. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> like, that's just normal. And so that's what we see. Same thing with caffeine. Caffeine, if you don't ever drink caffeine, you drink some and you're like, man, I have all this energy. But then after a while, you have to drink caffeine just to feel normal. You get it? Yeah. I was just wondering if the child is damaged, the, you know, the frontal lobe is damaged when they're an infant, is there a way to, um, you know... Uh, Remedy, heal that? That's a good question. You know... Um, Hopefully, by the grace of God, I don't know the science behind it. I mean, if, it if, if certain things are damaged, it can be very difficult. But I can say this. 
if we choose to live the best principles we know about getting adequate sleep, getting out in the sunshine, getting exercise, eating a very healthy diet, you're going to give them the best fighting chance for living a healthy life even after damage is done. The, the best we can do is have them in the Word of God and following the eight laws of health. That's our best chance. It is possible that it could heal, meaning, meaning like many things in brain damage actually heal in people's lives. So it is possible. But my thought is that it's probably most likely if they're getting a good, adequate diet and actually following the health principles also because they help rejuvenate and restore the body. There's even a verse in Psalms 103, verse 5, that says... Speaking of God, it says, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And so I really believe doing, following God's principles, both health principles and, and the spiritual principles, are our best opportunity of re, re, restoring the brain in someone in that situation. And so he goes on to say, simply put, all the reported benefits of caffeine are present virtually all day in those who don't consume caffeine. You get the point? So we saw 40, can, one cup of coffee can drop your blood flow to your brain by 40%. Uh, finally, nicotine. It's interesting that smokers are less able to perform complex mental tasks than non-smokers. And uh, in addition to short-term mental effects of smoking, it takes a toll on the brain function. Sorry, let me read it up here. Over the long haul, compared to non-smokers, smokers face double the risk of developing dementia which is permanent significant loss of intelligence from Alzheimer's and other causes. That's, I mean, that's horrible. That double, smokers have double the risk of dementia. Nobody, nobody wants dementia. I used to be a smoker, and I praise the Lord. He gave me victory over that. You know, in some states, it's now legal to smoke marijuana, and people even consider it like a medicine, right? Well, here's the thing. How did, and, and you'll even hear marijuana smokers, no, I, you know, I think better and I, you know, my mind's clearer when I smoke marijuana and all these things, right? You ever heard something like that before? Uh, but people talk that way. But here's the thing. Uh, marijuana um, it causes uh, memory impairment from marijuana use occurs because THC alters how information is processed in the hippocampus. That's the one of the memory centers of the brain, a brain area responsible for memory formation. I guess it said that. Chronic THC exposure may hasten, this is interesting, it may hasten age-related loss of hippocampal neurons. Those are memory neurons. In one study, rats exposed to THC every day for eight months, approximately 30% of their lifespan, showed a level of nerve cell loss at 11 to 12 months of age that equaled that of an unexposed animals twice their age. So it's like it aged the brains of these mice, so it's like they were twice as old as they were. Does that make sense? So marijuana use is not this benign thing that just gives you these wonderful feelings and just benefits humanity, you know, like God made the herbs for man. You know, people say things like this. But the, this actually destroys the human brain. It actually causes your, like, it's like you're old, your brain is older than it should be. Now, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We need our minds to be sober. We need to gird up the loins of our mind. Now, it's, this is on the left-hand portion of the screen is a normal person's brain, a scan of the brain. And on the right side, you see a porn addict's brain. Do you see a difference? It's like certain sections of the brain are not working. 
This is heavy. This is very heavy to think that. So your normal brain seems to, you know, just have this, generally everything has function taking place. It seems to all be working. But these people have these, like, like holes. I mean, this looks like someone who might have, like, Alzheimer's. You know, it's actually, I mean, I'm not saying specifically, but notice what happens. On the left, we have a cocaine addict's brain. On the right, we have a porn addict's brain. Which one actually looks worse? Pornography. So you can be, oh, I've never touched drugs in my life. I'm, I, you know, I've been, you know, I haven't done anything like this, but do you see this? It, it can actually, in ways, now, I do believe, once again, God can bring back, bring a victory. He can start us over. And, you know, like the Bible talks about that, God can bring back the years that the locusts have taken away, right? God can bring back these things. But if we continue in these things, we are actually, and, and that's what the Bible talks about. It says that when a man goes unto a harlot, when he's joined to a prostitute, he's actually sinning against his own body, right? It, and we are, we're actually destroying our, when, we're, when we are letting the reins of lust, letting go of the reins of lust and just going full on into, into our lust, it's actually literally destroying us. And God wants to give us victory and he can and will because this is not his will for us for the rest of our lives, Remember Revelation chapter 14, speaking of the identity of God's last day people, that they're going to be people who are not defiled with women. God wants to give victory in this area. And for many in our church, most people in our church are probably not cocaine habits. I guarantee you there are some. We've, we've run into it. Even within the church, you have a cocaine addict here or there. But the reality is most people don't have that. But this is something that is going to be much more of a trial for the people within God's church than things like, you know, you may be like, I don't smoke marijuana, I'm not a cocaine addict. But this is what people struggle with many times within the church. Because this is something that people would never know, could be very secret, and, you know, they can do these things and nobody would ever know. You can look like a good, you know, church member. But God wants to bring victory. He wants to change us. And here's a kind of a slide here. This, there was, there was an original scan and I just replicated it because... Uh, just to, just so we could use it however we wanted. But this is the general scan. Uh, they, this, the original PET scans were in uh, the World Book Encyclopedia. And what, what they did is kind of hard to see here. I should have put the words a little bigger. But this is the area of your brain that is operative when you are hearing me speak. So this area is just kind of, you know, um, this area of the brain is operative when you are seeing, when you're, if you're able to read these words, you're reading it in the back portion of the brain in, in the occipital lobe. And this is when I am speaking, when I am speaking, it, it takes place here. And, and if you notice, it actually takes less energy in the human brain to speak than it does to listen. So you all are working harder than I am while you're in this room. For me, it's easy. I just get to speak. That's the easy thing. And so, but hearing actually takes, have you noticed that, that it, you're actually many times thinking about what you want to say as people are, you're, somebody's talking to you. It's really hard to just listen to somebody and genuinely listen, isn't it? And, but what I find very fascinating, it takes a lot of energy to actually think about words and what they mean. What portion of the brain is that in? The frontal lobe. Now that's fascinating. So if, you wanna if you're, if you're going to change your frontal lobe, one of the ways to do it is to be thinking about what? Words thinking about words. Are you supposed to be sharing this right now? Is it your turn to come up and I've just been talking way over you? Come on up. I'm so sorry for doing that. <laughs> it, it hit me. What am I doing? These body normally shares these parts. So hop up. It's, it's your turn. Keep this, keep this scan in mind for just a moment. 
in that this is all energy taking place in your mind, that you're, you're, you're working hard, especially in the frontal lobe. You see how much energy it takes. So keep that in mind. This is in the book called Magnificent Mind at Any Age. It says, even though the brain consists of only 2% of your body's weight, it uses about 25% of the calories you consume. So you see that that brain, of course, is working hard in that PET scan. It shows you the amount of energy that's being used for any particular activity. And we're told that it's small in its weight, but it's big in its consumption, right? And so it's so important that we're eating the right things to feed this body the proper food that it needs to work well. This is my own observation, but I've noticed my friends who are very smart um, tend to be depressed. Uh, I mean, I'm talking like real brainiacs. You know, they're just like always thinking and always, and I noticed that um, they, they tend to fall into depression. And it was my, this is my own observation, okay? And as I looked at it, I realized that if they slack off in how they eat, it affects them quicker than your average person because they are thinking so much more than, than a normal person does. And so they're gonna feel it first in their mind, right? So anyway, um, this is another interesting thing. 60% of the food energy a baby takes in goes to feed its brain. Isn't that huge? 60% is going to, to, to help this brain. I just think that's like, wow. And you can see there's so much new information coming into that, that brain that it needs all that nutrition it needs to, to function properly. So it's important that we're eating the right foods. I can't say that enough because like Chad said earlier today, you can get along, right? If, if, if you don't drink any water, you just get your water from your food. You're gonna live, but are you gonna thrive, right? There's a difference between really living a full life and just getting along and being sick. So with that understanding of how much energy it takes um, and that the brain only holds about 2% of glucose that it needs. So it, it depends on the rest of the body to give it that energy because it's just like every two minutes it's just firing through all the glucose. So with that said, what do you think the frontal lobe desires? It is carbohydrates, okay? It's fruits and veggies. It's the Edenic diet that the brain functions on the best, period. It's the best thing. And um, here, I'll just give you uh, something here one second. Glucose is the form of sugar that travels in your bloodstream to fuel the mitochondrial furnaces responsible for your brain power. Glucose is the only fuel normally used by brain cells. Because neurons cannot store glucose, they depend on the bloodstream to deliver a constant supply of this precious fuel. This blood sugar is obtained from bohydrates, the starches and sugars you eat in the form of grains and legumes, fruits and vegetables. So it's the best way when you eat them whole because they're brought in in a package that the body can take in and give you suspended release of glucose. Now, if you remove the fiber from the sugar, right, then you get a spike in your blood sugar, and then you get 
a spike down and a spike, you know, it just, it, it plummets right after that. And it's not something that can sustain you. And so that's where the brain isn't doing as well. It doesn't do well on, on um, empty starches. And what I mean by that is if you're eating um, food without its fiber. So let's say you're having more orange or, um, orange or apple juice without eating the actual apple, right? It's better to eat it in its whole form to get the whole food than to eat it extracted from its fiber. And the same thing, you know, I said earlier with the sugar, um, you know, I think sugar in the U.S., the thing we use the most is beet, beet sugar. And so it would be better to eat the beets themselves than to remove it and eat the sugar alone. You understand what I'm saying? And the brain just does a lot better um, to use that. Let's go on. It says too much sugar or refined carbohydrates at one time, however, can actually deprive your brain of glucose, depleting its energy supply and compromising your brain's power to concentrate, remember, and learn. Mental activity requires a lot of energy. And so in order to sustain your um, brain better, it's better to eat whole foods. I can't say that enough. But now let's talk about white bread versus wheat bread, okay? And when I say white, it's really white versus um, whole, eating it as a whole. And there's three parts. There's the bran, the germ, and the endosperm. These are the three parts of the grain. And which part do you think the um, white bread has in it? That no sperm? Yeah, the starchy part in between. So you don't have the brain or the germ. It's it's taken out of it. Um, and it's 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 got all these the, the normal one, the um, whole grain, has a bunch of nutrients as you can see here. Um, it's much higher in fiber and vitamin B six and E and all of these things, right? But um, the other they take it away but by law you have to put in so many more nutrients, and so then they call it enriched. But it's not really enriched because they stripped all these things, and then by law they have to put maybe like five in, and so then you go, oh, I'm eating enriched bread, but it's not really enriched because it was raw. It says, in a 10-year Harvard study completed in 1994, men and women who ate high-fiber breads had fewer heart attacks and strokes than those whose taste buds ran to bagels and baguettes. So, um, if you eat whole grain, you have less heart attacks and strokes. And then listen to this one. This is incredible. Simply switching from white to whole wheat bread can lower heart disease risk by how much? 20%. 20%. According to research from the University of Washington reported in April 2, 2003. Um, that's significant. 20% decrease in, in heart disease. So um, you've heard that phrase, the wider the bread, can you finish it? The quicker you're dead, right? <laughs> the wider the bread, the quicker you're dead. And so the st science is showing that that statement is true. So I would really, really encourage you to increase um, that. So for the next day in the modified fast slash cleanse, you do whole grains, okay? So brown rice, um, millet and 
whole wheat bread, you know, like the heavy stuff, not the fluffy things that you know, wonder bread, you wonder what's in it. Um, just gross. <laughs> anyway, so but if you eat these things, I'm not trying to make fun of you. I'm just saying we, we've all been there, but we need to grow outside of that diet in order for our brains to be doing better. And there's that slide, the line of the bread, look like you're dead. So sometimes we get a little discouraged because we think, oh boy, um, this just seems a little overwhelming. They're taking this away, they're taking that away, and so on and so forth. But here's another Bible promise that we can look at, okay? I love this verse. It's really neat. Hebrews 12, verse 11. It says, for the moment, all discipline seems what? Painful rather than pleasant. But later, yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to who? To those who have been trained by it. So we have to be trained, right? Retrain, train, whatever it is. Because we naturally do not like the, the simple things in life. We naturally like the stimulating foods. We naturally like the things that aren't good for us. The drugs and alcohol and, and, and sweets and um, spicy foods and that kind of thing, right? That's what we naturally go for. But it says that we can be trained. And when we're trained to like new things, we yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. But of course, for the time, all discipline seems um, painful rather than pleasant. God understands how we are, right? He understands how we function and, and that we're in a struggle. He gets that. But he, is he patient like any parent, right? Patient with our, our, our issues? Yes, he is, and he'll work through us, but we have to understand that we can't use excuse, well that just doesn't appeal to me or, or I'm just not like other people no, we're all like that, we all naturally don't like these things, but we can retrain the taste buds you can retrain the thoughts and so on and so forth it says now um, this, is a, this is a study on blueberries and what I like to do is learn about the foods I'm eating so that while I'm eating them, I feel really good about it. So there's something about the brain that as you're eating it, you, the taste buds, but then knowing that it's so good for you really enhances the experience. So blueberries, if you like them, you're going to like them more after this. According to Jim Joseph, a neuroscientist with the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Boston, blueberry zap free radicals, and free radicals are highly reactive atoms that can damage tissue. Um, reverse aging, so, so the blueberries can zap free radicals, reverse aging, enhance cognition, and this is the kicker, cause new neurons to grow if you're a rat. That is. But isn't that powerful? So we learned today that exercise causes new neurons to grow, and now we're seeing that blueberries. And Loma Linda University did a study with um, pomegranates and found the same thing um, for another study that we're going to tell you in just a minute, but it has to do with blueberries. In one animal study, Joseph developed a series of motor skills tests that he and his associates called the Rat Olympics. Rats had to walk balanced beams and stay upright during log-rolling tasks. Those that had been raised on blueberry rat chow did better than those that hadn't. Isn't that cool? Leading Joseph to conclude that blueberries were actually able to reverse motor deficits in these aging animals. More remarkably, when mice that had been genetically altered to express Alzheimer's were put on blueberry diet, 
put on the blueberry diet. They did not experience memory loss. Isn't that powerful? Joseph's work has shown some similar benefits from walnuts, which contain alpha-linolenic acid and essential omega-3 fatty acid. So what's, what's going on here? Blueberries actually counteract the effects of Alzheimer's. And you know, you've heard of people lose their, their memory and whatnot. And that's where Loma Linda did the same study and found that with um, pomegranates, it has the same effect. That these, because you think about blueberries are dark, pomegranates are dark, all these dark colored type foods help with antioxidants, <coughs> like reversing the effects of antioxidants. Isn't it beautiful that God has given us these things that not only are nutrition, but they also heal us? To heal us of the things that are happening to us because of the effects of sin, right? When you look at um, in Genesis 3, after sin came in, he says, now you can eat the herbs of the, the field, right? And a lot of times, herbs are very healing for ailments that we have, like cleansing our blood. Our blood is contaminated, right, from sin. And right away, God had a remedy for it. And so the more, the more we're eating these types of foods, the more healing you're going to find. It says, no matter what you eat, if you want to maintain a sharp memory, you should strive for a diet that keeps your belly fat down. A study of more than 6,500 people published in the journal Neurology showed that people who were overweight and had a large belly were 2.3 times as likely to develop dementia as those with normal weight and belly size, while those who were obese and had a large belly were 3.6 times as likely. So we want to keep that belly fat down um, also if we want a sharp memory. A lot of, of society today has become normal to be overweight, but God is telling us that if we want a sharp mind, right, we need to watch these things. Also, um, it's going to switch gears, but it's still in the same concept of, of weight and um, sleep. According to 2008, a 2008 study by the National Sleep Foundation, American adults now get two hours less sleep per night than the average in 1960. Would you say that's right? Yeah. Wouldn't you say, like, it used to be more normal to get at least eight, and now six seems to be the normal? Right? Um, it says, missing out on your Z's not only puts you in the mental fog, it also triggers a constellation of actual metabolic changes that may lead to weight gain. A lack of shut-eye harms your waistline because it affects two important hormones that control appetite and satiety, leptin and ghrelin. Um, and this is a researcher specializing in sleep and health at the University of Chicago Department of Medicine. Continue. According to a study published in the Annals of Internal Medicine, people who slept only four hours a night for two nights had an 18% decrease in leptin. And what's leptin? A hormone that signals the brain that the body has had enough to eat. Okay? So the, the hormone that tells you you've had enough um, decreased, and 28% increase in ghrelin, a hormone that triggers hunger had an increase. So the one that tells you you're hungry increased, the one that tells you you're satisfied decreased when they had a lack of sleep. Um, compared with those who got more rest. The result, sleep-deprived study volunteers reported a 24% boost in appetite, 
Short sleep can also trigger, uh, can also impair glucose metabol metabolism and over time set the stage for type 2 diabetes, commits and notes. When we're exhausted, we hunger for just about everything in sight, especially if it's sugary or high in carbs. Now, let me ask you, when you, you know, a lot of times uh, people stay up late Saturday night. Um, do you usually have a salad when you do that? <laughs> have you ever seen anybody stay up Saturday night and eat a salad? Yeah. You did? What is it usually? Isn't it usually pizza and ice cream? Yeah. What you say usually, usually want it's it's high in carbs, right? Empty carbs, we should say, high in empty carbs, or um, you know, like when I say empty carbs, that means they're they're not whole foods, and high in sugar, which is the ice cream. So you realize we're craving things because we're not following the health principles that we should, and we think, well, I could just. You know, it's not a big deal. Sleep doesn't affect me as much, but it does, and we don't realize how it does, right? We start to crave things, and we think, well, that's just me. That's what I crave. But could it be that we're craving things because we're lacking in some other area in our lives, right? Do you see how these health laws all connect? That we can't be, you know, we can't be so, you know, like, particular in one area to the exclusion of the others. They all work together. If you have a lack of sleep, you're gonna crave things you shouldn't be eating, and then when you don't eat things that you shouldn't, then your brain gets affected, and then it just all revolves around you deciding to make these little health choices that encourage you to have a better brain and a better connection to heaven. Um, Chad will come up now and continue. All right. Now, this is a, a little boy was eating a lot of salt, and meaning his parents were catching him licking, just licking the salt off of crackers. But then one day they came into the kitchen and they saw him with a salt shaker, and he was just dumping salt into his mouth. And they thought, what? Something's wrong with our child. So they brought him to the hospital. And the, and the doctors took him off his extreme high salt, you know, diet that he was eating, and he died. And what happened was they discovered that his adrenal glands had shut down. So his adrenal glands had shut down, and when they shut down, they help, well, in, when, when they're not shut down, they help regulate the salt in our bodies. So because they had shut down, he needed this intense load of salt. And he didn't know, oh, my adrenal glands have shut down. But somehow his body was just craving salt. So he was just eating and eating and eating. It was keeping him alive. And they did a study where they took mice and they shut down their adrenal glands, however they did it. And what the mice ended up doing is having a great desire for salt. So they began to just crave the salt. Well, then they put within their cage the salt, and they also put within their cage white refined sugar. And so then the mice could, you know, they could eat either one or both. Well, once the mice started eating the refined sugar, their body stopped telling them that they needed the salt. And then guess what happened? They would die because their body wasn't getting enough salt. And this is just a personal belief of mine, and I believe it's true, that certain foods that are refined, certain things like sugar and other things for that matter, actually, that are refined, just refined foods in general, I believe can shut down your brain's ability to crave that which it needs. 
Now, we don't all need massive quantities of salt, obviously, but that child did. But once he had the sugar, his brain just, he was so hooked on the sugar, it didn't know that it actually needed something else to survive, the rat. Now, you think about that. So could it be that as we eat junk food, something happens where our body just craves junk, but doesn't crave the things that will actually make you healthy and happy? And we're going to talk about that in the next message. My wife wants me to share the uh, gut-brain connection. Fascinating. I mean, cutting-edge science, things you've probably never heard before. This is very, very new cutting-edge science that's come out about how uh, specific foods and what we do with our stomach can actually change our brain, lower levels of depression, lower our lust and our anger, uh, social anxiety. It literally can be transforming. So we're going to talk about that in the next message. But what we see here is that if you're eating these refined foods, it can actually potentially affect uh, your ability to crave that which your body needs. Uh, some, I'm going to give you some quick tips for depression. And we're going to get more into that in the gut-brain connection also. But here we have the quick tips for depression. Exercise is so important for depression. Consider the effects of exercise. Even moderate physical activity, meaning brisk walking three times a week, has been shown in two landmark studies to fight depression as effectively as the depression medication Zoloft. Simply put, exercise changes the brain. It enhances the function of dopamine-based circuits that mediate our experience of pleasure along with the, our ability to, to initiate activity. So one of the things that is as effective as taking a depression medication is simply what? Exercising. You see how important, and, and we live, typically we live sedentary lives, but just getting out, and you're talking walking. We're not even talking running a marathon. Walking three times a week can actually reverse depression as much as a drug medication. So you see how important exercise is. Number two, omega-3. Uh, they talk about the benefits of having omega-3. We don't need to read the whole thing, but it can be anti-inflammatory for you. Where, where can you get your omega-3? You can get it in walnuts. You can get it in flax seeds. You can get it in chia seeds. You can get it in hemp seeds. You can also get it in fish. But the problem with fish is that fish many times has high levels of mercury. And mercury can cause depression. So do you see, yes, you can get it in animal foods, but then you get the side effects of the animal food itself. So why not get it from the very source, from the natural source, from, you know, because think about it, even the fish end up getting it from plant foods. That's where it comes from. So you can get it firsthand instead of secondhand from the fish. And so number two, so the first one is getting your exercise helps with depression, getting your omega-3s. Number three, light therapy. Bright light exposure represents yet another proven strategy for altering brain chemistry. Specialized light receptors in the retina connect to circuits deep in the brain that regulate circadian rhythm. And sunlight, which is over 100 times brighter than these lights right here, is the prime stimulator of the eye's photoreceptors. It triggers a cascade of neurological, neurochemical reactions that help to keep the body clock in sync. So uh, we don't have to read the whole next point, but I, we know what it's like. We've been in Iceland living in a very dark, dark, dark situation. And virtually all of us were depressed well, in the winter in Iceland. You just feel down when it's that dark. And you get out in the bright sunshine, like you know California, you have sunshine almost all the time, and it just makes you feel so much better. But you got to actually get out in it, right? Get out in the sun. So even after class, you, you can go for a 15-minute walk before we start our next class. And so those are three things that can help with depression, but we're going to talk about some very specifics about foods that can help reverse depression in the next presentation. Um, 
we looked at this already, so by way of review, uh, we, we looked at, the one I want you to notice here is thinking about words takes place in the frontal lobe, right? So if you want to change your frontal lobe, one of the things you can do is think about words. Do you think God knew that thinking about words benefited your frontal lobe? Yeah, obviously. I mean, that's a silly question to wonder if God knew something. But here's the thing. So God knew this. If he knew it, what do you, what do you think if he thought, well, I'll give them a book I'll give them a book. And that book will help strengthen their frontal lobe. Because here's the thing. When you read the Bible, the Bible isn't just like any other book. Like, you read a novel, and you hardly have to think about what it's talking about. Yes or no? You don't even need to think about it. Some book like this, you know, you don't even need to think about that stuff. But this book, do you just read it, and it's just like, oh, I just get everything. Oh, that all made sense, right? No, you have to go, huh? What did that mean? What was that talking about? What does that word mean, right? And as you're thinking about it, what's firing? Your frontal lobe. Your frontal lobe is being strengthened and changed when you read the good book, when you read the Bible, right? When you read the Spirit of Prophecy, you actually have to think about what these things mean. We're told this. She tells us the Bible, just as it reads, is to be our guide. Nothing is so calculated to enlarge the mind and strengthen the intellect as the study of the Bible. Nothing is to strengthen your mind like the study of the Bible. Now, this makes sense to us because think about it for a moment. Okay, if you had a biology textbook and you studied that book and you understood everything in the book, you could only attain to an intellectual greatness of the author of the book at best. Does that make sense? That's your best chance for reading a a biology textbook, that you could possibly get to the level of that author when you read it. Now think about this. We're reading this book, and who was the, uh, the ultimate authority behind this book? It was God, right? The Holy Spirit. Now sure, he used men to write it, but if you think about it, so we, as we are reading this, are coming in contact with the mind of the infinite. Does that make sense? So nothing is so calculated to strengthen our mind as the study of the Word of God. And you've, you've heard this. We even heard it this morning. Proverbs 23, 7, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So what we think changes us. It creates our identity. It creates who we are. You understand? So what we think about will shape our lives, because never forget that thoughts work out actions. Repeated actions form habits, and habits form character. And we saw this already, Isaiah 26, verse 3, that you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. And I'm gonna, we've already read that. Uh, I want you to think, we're going to close with this story for this message before we go into the gut-brain connection, this cutting-edge science. Anybody ever heard of the old preacher? He's passed away, Joe Cruz. Anybody ever heard of Joe Cruz? All right, a few of us. Joe Cruz uh, was kind of, was he a Southerner? He seemed to have a Southern, did he have a Southern accent? Or am I just, I thought it was East Coast, wasn't it? Maybe he's East Coast and I'm just putting a Southern accent. But nevertheless, this guy, this guy from yesteryear, he's passed away now. Uh, Joe Cruz... I heard him tell the story, you know, in, in audio anyway. He tells the story of being on a plane back in the day when you could smoke cigarettes on a plane. Can you imagine? You're like in a little tube with a bunch of people, and they're smoking. I mean, how horrendous must that have been? Well, the reality is you can't do it anymore, unless you have, probably have a private jet, and I don't even know if you can then. But nevertheless, so Joe Cruz is sitting next to a guy, and it was a young man, and this young man was just staring up at that little no-smoking sign. And the moment the no smoking sign turned off, this 
kid pulls out of his pocket a pack of cigarettes and, and he lights up. Now, Joe looks at the guy. He says, hey, have you ever thought about quitting? <laughs> you know, and uh, the, the young man said, have I thought about it? Absolutely, I've thought about it. I would love to quit. I've tried and I can't. He said, oh, is that right? And Joe, Joe said, you know, it just so happens I actually put on seminars about how to stop smoking. He's an Adventist. All Adventist ministers back then did, right? They did probably a five-minute stop smoking plan, right? <laughs> Claim a few promises that, you know, whatever it was. But they, he said, hey, I actually teach people how to stop smoking. Would you mind if I share some things with you? And the young man said, sure, yeah, absolutely. And so Joe reached down into his bag, and he pulled out one of these. He pulled out a Bible. And the young man looked at him, and he said, oh, no, no, I tried that. And it didn't work. And Joe said, is that right? He said, it didn't work. He said, uh, would you mind if I, if I just share with you one passage of Scripture? And the young, young man said, okay, sure. And he showed him this, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, and 58, which says, but thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So he said to the young man, God promised this. The first verse says, thanks be to God, which what? Gives us the victory. And he said, you know, God says here that he gave you the victory. Did he give you the victory? And the young man said, well, no. And Joe said, well, I guess then uh, God lied to you then, didn't he? And this young man was a Baptist. And he knows that the scriptures teach in Titus 1 verse 2, God who can not lie right the bible says god can't lie joe says i guess god lied to you huh and these young baptist boys said no no god can't lie and joe asked him a very very important question he said let me ask you a question have you tried to quit before he said yes he said the last time you tried to quit he obviously hadn't quit yet the last time that you tried to quit did you believe that god would give you the victory what do you think the answer of the young boy was, young man? No, no. And here's the reality. Sometimes we say prayers like this. Oh, God, please help me not to do this again. But in, maybe you're like me, and there's been times where in the back of my mind, I feel like I'm probably going to go do that sin within another hour. Right? Like, it's not a prayer of faith. It's you're praying for something, but in reality, you're not even trusting the one you're praying too. You understand? But the Bible tells us that we are to pray by faith, trusting that God will give victory. And so God wants to give us that victory. He wants to transform us by the renewing of our minds. So we're going to close. Uh, just to let you know, we're going to talk about in the upcoming messages, seven ways to strengthen your frontal lobe and will. We're going to talk about uh, also uh, how to find victory and move on from the area of overcoming and forgiveness. But our next message, we're going to talk about this new science of the brain, the gut-brain connection, how what actually takes place here. Ellen White says, she said before her time, that this right here, actually the, the gut or the stomach, she said is the, is the source of most of our problems in our church. And that sounds crazy, as I said before. But now cutting-edge scientists are saying maybe the problem, maybe the majority of psychological problems all start right here. 
This is new science, and, and there's good reason. You'll see there's science, solid scientific reasoning behind this. This isn't just like some quirky idea, and these people aren't even of our faith, but they're just scientists beginning to discover exactly what we were told 100 years ago. So we're going to go into that, uh, but we're going to take a 15-minute break. But before we do, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you can give us the victory. We need you. Well, because we can't do it on our own. That's for sure. We cannot be victorious. We know that. We've tried. But Father, help us to find the victory in you. In the name of Jesus, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.